All right. <clears throat> Welcome to Look at My Records. I'm here with Paul Casanova. Hi. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Good, thanks. Introduced to you via former guest Charles Newman. That's right. That's you right. guys were in the band Please Together. Yeah. Correct? Yes, yes. Tell me a little bit about, you have a new project, just put out a new record, or is it about to come out? Is it out? We just have, yeah, a new record just came out. Just came uh, out. In the way that records come out, I mean, you know, they, they come out and then a, a whole bunch come out on the same day, so it's really more like it's a gradual come out. You come yeah. out officially, but then, you know, you kind of uh, push the record, so we're doing that now, you know, yeah. we're trying to, we're getting on those radio streams and things, yeah. but we have a new record um, that was released by a band called Supercell. And it's kind of a logical extension of everything I've done, and including cool. working with Charles. Yeah. You know. Well, let's rewind first, though. Yeah. How'd you... Please, very good band. I love Please. Uh, great power pop sound in the 90s. Had that great song that was on the Empire Records soundtrack as well. Yeah. How'd you start playing music? How'd you meet Charles and form the band Please? Just a bit of a background rewind here before we... Well, in a nutshell, I guess, um, you know, like every musician or every lifelong musician, you know, I started at a really young age and, um, you know, really early on was trying to play different instruments and do different things. And that just seemed to be my main aptitude, you know, just to be, you know, musical. So I guess that became my, you know, my thing throughout, you know, until I hit like 10 or 11 or 12. And then all of a sudden I got into sports and kind of abandoned it all, you know, again. Uh, and then rediscovered it after, you know, um, I had instruments around. I was I was starting to play stuff. I finally got a snare drum, those kind of things. You know, I was in the marching band at 11 years old. And I got a lot of formative sort of music that way. But it, for the most part, I was doing it on my own. I was just really sort of self-motivated. So I think that um, early on, um, I just had some, you know, so just... Uh, uh, just a sub kind of predisposition to want to like write things and do things. So I was I was setting up my own drum kit with pillows. I was writing poetry if I could in the you know. But I was you know probably like seven years old and I was trying to write things. So I was writing little plays. I was doing stuff like that. So I think that um, ultimately when I hit my teens and I started dealing with sort of just um, you know at one point you know at some point when I was in school you know I was sometimes in the margins you know I wasn't like the most popular kid that kind of stuff you know and I had my escape was, was with music you know so I started um, sort of getting more into that and then and then when I hit like a, a high school I hit a, a, a I was in a really bad high school and then I uh, got pushed into a better high school my parents were like you gotta go to a better high school where, so, where are you from originally I'm from Brockton from Massachusetts cool. and so I ended up in a better high school and uh, and there was you know guys that were playing music you know or doing stuff and, and I was just at that point I was just like I'm playing the drums and, and there was an opportunity to do that with, with guys that were just from my neighborhood and stuff and I think that from there, that's uh, I became the drummer, and then and then I sort of had ambitions elsewhere because I had a guitar as well, and I had some other influences, and I want to sing, and so I just kept on pushing from that. And I ended up in like the typical, you know, I started my own high school band, and you know we were doing covers, and we we're doing all the classic rock tunes from Zeppelin and Rush, and you know, and bands like that, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and I think that from that throughout all that, eventually. Uh, you know, it all took me to music school. Um, I was self-taught all the way up until music school, and then I got there, and I had a real, you know, big sort of crash landing. Yeah, and, I, I can imagine. Yeah. What was that like to kind of self-teach yourself? Did you read music at all at that point? 
And no. then you just dive into music school. It must have been intense. Yeah. No, I mean, no, I didn't have, I mean, my, my, you know, it was vinyl. I was listening to vinyl, you know, I was learning licks from vinyl from, you know, from, uh, you know, I'd have like my, my big top five that I would, you know, blast at every night after dinner, you know, in my bedroom, you know, that I would play to, you know, rock guitar to. And I had a friend who had a, I had a Sears, I had a small Sears, very, very clean amp. And, uh, and uh, it was very, very clean and it sounded very, very small. And I had a buddy who said, uh, it was a kind of a technical whiz kind of thing, like a Malcolm in the middle kind of guy kind of thing. And he said, listen, I can do something to your circuit that will, you know, I was like, what? He's like, it'll distort it. And I was like, you mean break it? We can't do that. We can't do that. We can't break it. <laughs> and my father will kill me. And, uh, and, and he's like, no, no, no. Listen, let me do this. So he did it. I was like, okay. So it was kind of like in the secret of night, in the dark of night. He goes, he does this. And, uh, and of course, it changed my life forever. Because all of a sudden, I, had, I could crank it. I had this distortion. He had done something with the circuit, turned it around so everything was distorted. So all of a sudden, like my top five records were, you know, like Zeppelin and, you know, ACDC and Aerosmith. And I was just learning all of my licks from there. And eventually, you know, humans see patterns, you know, and you eventually pick up patterns and, and you start seeing like the pentatonic scale and certain like the keys to the universe kind of stuff that get you into it. And, and at, at that point, you catch the spirit of it, which is what I try to teach like my students and things like that is you catch the spirit of it if you kind of already have it. So I felt like that's where I was at. You know, that was the spirit of what I wanted to that like, you know, that I was just into it beyond into it, you know, playing it. And then it turns out that that's what my heroes were doing, too. You know, they were all playing. Like, they couldn't stop playing, you know? And so, ultimately, that just led to, you know, like I said, it led to music school. And in music school, uh, you know, I, I'd taken some theory classes prior to, like a little bit, a couple guitar lessons, people just telling me how much I didn't know. And then I arrived terrified. Uh, and when I did, um, you know, they gave me a quick, you know, sort of like, well, we liked your demo tape. I got lucky, basically. I sent them a small demo tape of songs that I'd written, a few songs, like instrumental songs. And uh, they had um, said, okay, well, and because I had been 15, more than 1,500 miles away because I was in Boston, I lucked out and I didn't have to go to the audition. I probably would have, you know, flunked the audition because I was just so nervous. Uh, but I did the demo and they said, well, we dig, the, dig that, so we're going to bring you here. And so when I got there, they just said, well, you're only partially here. Um, you have to prove yourself. You have to learn a bunch of stuff over the next semester that shows that you should be in this program. Because it was jazz. And uh, all of a sudden, I was like... Interesting. Yeah, Very interesting. Yeah. And, and, and they said to me, well, do you know any jazz? Do you know plenty jazz? And I was like, well, yeah, you know, Santana. And, uh, you know, of course, that was far from jazz, although it had things that I was listening to that were influencing me in some way, and he was influenced in some way. But they said, no, 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 that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about Joe Pass, and we're talking about, you know, other guys, you know, you know, big jazzers and, you know, classic guys. And I had no experience with any of that. So I had a crash course in that, and it was just great. I, I went in amongst some really, really fine musicians, because it was a great school. So this uh, University of Miami. And uh, has a great music program and some great teachers. And so I, ha I was just all of a sudden just in it. And, uh, and that at that point, um, you know, you just, you just get inundated. So for me, I ended up in quite a, uh, 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 it was a huge jazz thing. It was all jazz. All of a sudden, there was a guy 
uh, played, uh, he was China Valance at the Maj, and he was Miami radio. He was an overnight radio guy. And he was music for, ma- uh, for music for night pe- mushrooms and night people. Music for mushrooms and night people. And he would play, if you like, tonight we're going to do a full side of, you know, the Atlantic years, Coltrane, you know, that kind of thing. And I'd turn it on and, and you know, go to bed to that. And it was just round the clock, just, you wow. know, eating, 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 eating um, jazz. So that, because uh, they said 90% of your playing was your listening. You know, that was the whole thing, you know. And so... And so from there, I, I got, I finally got out of school and, uh, and I was just itching. I'd gotten a four track for, you know, I, I, yeah. I got a four track, one of those Tascam four tracks. Um, and instantly I was boom. I was just like starting to throw ideas down. Cause up until that point, you know, uh, all I had was, I didn't have, I didn't have multi-track. All I had was like the mushrooms and a pen. So I could sit there and I could write lyrics and do things as best as I possibly could. But I couldn't, I didn't have any way of like doing music, you know, printing music and doing it in a multi-track way. So it started with that, you know, and then eventually I got to Boston. I drove back to Boston, got out of Miami because Miami isn't a really great um, originals. It didn't have any original scene at all. It had nothing. So it was all tourists, uh, cover bands, things like that. And I got back to Boston and I was just really just itching to, to, to start a band. And, uh, and I, so immediately I went back to the guys that I knew that were around that had been there that didn't leave Boston. Um, and through that, it was kind of, I just immediately saw my, my buddy and my buddy uh, said, hey, I'm introduced you to my roommate and my roommate happened to be Charles. That happened oh, wow. to be Charles. And then it was like, and I looked at his posters and I saw what, what he had on his, you know, on his wall. And I was like, wow, these are, these, uh, these are a lot of my, you know, my influences, where I'm coming from. And I just, I kind of, I think I just said, you want to start a band or something like that. And we just, he's like, okay. And it just turned into that. How'd you go from being immersed into this jazz program to forming a band like please though because it's not really what i would think of when i think of jazz you know well that's interesting question i mean what happened was is that when i got out of jazz uh when i got out of jazz school i wasn't i didn't consider myself by any means a jazzer you know because i you need years and years and years and years but i was i became jazzy which is what i wanted because i was really into bands like steely dan and things like that too and i wanted like that phrasing and i wanted that kind of stuff and i wanted those that chromaticism in playing and get when you play guitar um, oftentimes it's, you know, major scales or pentatonic scales or whatever, basic blues scales. And oftentimes it's not a lot of the chromaticism. So I wanted some of that. When I got out of school, I, you know, I didn't want to have, I, I was all about like, man, well, I listen to really complex music now. Cause I was just so post, post college sort of idealism, still very naive, still very green. And I was like, well, I, you know, I don't want to ever play a power chord. All my chords have to be soft and yeah. cool and big and all this stuff. And I was still learning to write. Um, so, so being in Boston, you know, I had a degree now, I had a degree in music industry now. So I got myself a, I, I start, you know, I, I've called those stupid ads that would be like rock and roll environment for you to work in. And I was like, I'd go there and it would be like, you know, I'd be selling like lost leaders or something, you know, <laughs> you know, and, you know, and it was like a rock and roll environment, yeah. you know? So, so anyway, I, I, I had an episode like that and I broke out, uh, one day to, to, a, to an area that I had. Um, sent all my resumes to, um, and I, I, cause I knew I'd sent it to one of these places. And so I started looking down, and I, I looked down the street, and I kept on looking and seeing where I may have put these resumes. And it turns out that I ran into one of the places. I looked at the name, said the Entertainment Network. I went upstairs, and uh, and I, I walked in, and I said, I gave, I sent you guys my resume, and you know, I'm wondering if I can get an appointment, whatever. And, and the girl at the desk, she said, Well, no, we don't have any jobs, we don't have anything, we don't have your resume. So I said, well, I don't know why I said it, but I was like, well, I'm going to write it down for you and hopefully you give it to somebody. Well, it turns out that she was actually leaving. She didn't care. And she put it on the <laughs> desk of the guy that was there and he called me and he was like, 
brought me in and I became an agent. I became a booking agent in Boston. Um, and, and, and at the time, um, Boston was killing it. It was it had the Rat Skeller, which was just basically the equivalent of CBGB's. Yeah. Um, you know, it had TT Bears. It had, uh, you know, it had a lot of great, a lot of great clubs. It had a really great, you know, vibrant, vibrant rock scene. The, 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 uh, the uh, Rock and Roll Rumble was still happening. BCN, which was the Rock of Boston, was still dominating. So you could have a local DJ pushing local bands and put them on the same level as your national bands, yeah. your international wow. bands. So it was a great, great, great scene. And so I was, I was uh, booking, a, you know, small clubs around this company that was, ba- that was booking a 1,500-seater. So the 1,500-seater, uh, the well, it wasn't a seater. It was a bar. It was a huge bar, you know, it was uh, called The Channel. And so I was checking out bands there that were just coming up, and I, you know, I would have my, you know, I would, my, I would park my car there because Boston parking is tough. So I would park my car there every day in the parking lot of the channel. So on my way walk back from where the company was, I'd walk down to the parking lot, and there would be the channel. And so I'd walk in and I'd see like sound checks for all these groups, and I was just like, you know, getting turned on to stuff yeah. that I hadn't been, that, that had started to give me more of an edge. It was starting to bring my edge back because I had lost it a little bit with jazz. And that's, I mean, that's, that's, that's nothing to say about jazz because it's like, it's so heavy. I mean, I, I dig it big time. But um, for the where, the, where I was thinking, the way I was thinking in my approach to rock, I didn't even want to play a power chord until I got back to Boston. And then in Boston, all of a sudden, I was walking and I was seeing these bands and they, they could have been local bands, but they were also bands, like I'd see the Chili Peppers or Fishbone or, yeah. you know, the, the, I saw like King's X's first rec, you know, first show in front of 10 people, you know, things like that. And, uh, but we were also bringing in James Brown and we are bringing in like other big bands. And I was booking some small bands, like, some, uh, like a, a great ska band out of Boston called Bim Scala Bim, which was really cool. cool. Uh, and uh, and they were became kind of my flagship. And then one of my favorite bands of all time, which is like, like, like my list is, you know, so many, but one of my favorite bands of all time, which is a band called Treat to Right. And Treat to Right became Morphine. That was Mark Sandman's oh, okay, project yeah. before, Mor- before uh, Morphine. Morphine, excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you listen to Treat to Right, it's just really captivating. It's just really gorgeous, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful music. He just was such a natural. And so I was, I was booking those guys, um, and you know that was that that was a lot of fun. But anyways, I was getting so influenced by the stuff that I was listening to, and that just really kind of got me, gave me, gave me sort of that darker edge. Ultimately, Charles and I decided to move from Boston. We were on the Boston scene for for a while, you know, playing and you know playing the clubs that we could and getting on some stages and you know opening for bands like the Romantics and things like that. Um, and so that was cool. We were cutting our teeth, but we were still didn't. Re- I don't think we really had the edge that we were trying to get or whatever it was we were going for but we were starting to have our leanings towards more rock stuff uh eventually we moved to new york and when we got to new york um i think that just began like another process a whole different set of people different set of circumstances how we were living you know starting to live that that life of like you're living with your band you know um and you're you know it's all you know it's it's all about that you know and it's, it's about getting your rehearsal space and doing the stuff so we went through all those motions and i think that in all that and then jumping on the lower east side and and you know hitting all the rock clubs because it was a really intense rock scene here uh, when we got here so uh and there was cool rock clubs like rock like the scrap bar like rock and roll clubs um you could go to and you know every night there was a there was a there was a, some kind of a scene there was a band playing there was a label that was signing somebody there was you know there was that kind of thing uh, so I, we arrived to that, you know, and then and then off the heels of me being a booking agent, um, you know, I landed a gig at CMJ and I started working at CMJ. 
uh, and I became a convention coordinator. Um, and then the showcaser, the, the showcase booker, because I was the only guy that had a band that was kind of like, you know, do you book bands that are indie bands that aren't on a label or aren't represented in some way? And, and they didn't really. Um, they had really, they were, up until that point, they were doing some cool bands, but mostly it was stuff that was recommended by the label, yeah. and, you know, for the convention. And when I arrived, I was like, I opened it up. And, uh, you know, I didn't realize what I was doing. I mean, I, I knew what I, I needed to do it, but uh, it started off with, you know, a few, a few tapes. And by the second, third year, fourth year, it was like, it's just bushels and bushels and bushels of tapes that I'd get. Of, and I'd have to like, you know, eventually I got a couple of assistants, but in the beginning, it was just me just eating tapes and booking bands that were, you know, um, you know, up and coming or, you know, in some pretty significant bands. So it was really cool. It was a great time. And so all that, all that just got, got us into, you know, I'm looking at your wall and I'm seeing a bunch of uh, cassettes there. And I'm looking at these bands and I'm just like, man, I, I remember just when I first heard the like Jesus Lizard, you know, yeah, and yeah, could, yeah. you know, and that stuff I was getting through CMJ, you know, I was getting that through, I was getting that through like alternative radio, college radio. And so we were just getting heavily influenced by all that stuff. And that's what led to an evolution into, into, into please. And I think that you know, all of those elements were there, but because we were kind of schizophrenic, I was schizophrenic because of all the music I was getting filtered through me through the CMJ convention and through, and through the, the charts, you know, just well, the magazine, you know, because of great staff. Um, there was so much music. When you filtered all that through our love of classic rock as well, you know, I mean, I was really into prog. I loved, you know, so I always wanted like a symphonic side to things to some extent. And I just love the whimsy of the Beatles, you know, so we were just trying to like throw everything in, but the kitchen, you know, the kitchen sink into our stuff. So I think that that's where it almost been, became like a huge kind of inner struggle sort of writing songs. With Please, it was very open. It was very, very free because also we didn't have any of the constraints of things that it seems like you need now, you know, yeah. um, we got to just sort of just be very, very organic and that we didn't, we think about stuff now and I'm just like, do we have a click track for that? Did we <laughs> do this and that, you know? And, uh, and we, and you know, oftentimes we don't, but you know, the spirit's there. So what was that experience like for please? It's such a different time in music, as you're kind of mentioning, it seems that during the mid to late nineties, you got a show a lot of A&R guys trying to scoop the next big band up. And it seems like Please kind of was bubbling a little bit below the surface and kind of had that experience. What was that like, maybe flirting with a big label, putting out your record and things like that? You know, I, it's... I mean, it was a... If I, if, well, if I had to do it all over again, um, I probably wouldn't do it all over again that way. I'd probably do it the same way in certain ways. I mean, the 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 the... the the channels that got us there were just part of, you know, it was being industrious. You know, at, at, at the very beginning, it was because we reached out to somebody. And it was sort of the beginnings of the indie, in the indie age in a certain way, because the internet was up. Um, things like Craigslist were up. And that's where it started. It's For us, it started that way. Up until that point, um, we did have, we were flirting with, with things on the edge. We had, we were probably had, uh, I think we, had, we already had two managers by that time. Yeah. Guys that had gotten, yeah, yeah, got, yeah. but guys, that, but to their credit, guys that had just sort of gotten turned on to us or saw us somewhere. And we were, you know, we were a relatively small band in certain ways, but we were playing, you know, I was trying to get gigs at, the, at CBs and, and Limelight and things like that and get on good stages. And so we had a couple managers and we, and we were doing demos on our own. We were already DIY 
to begin with because when we arrived uh, eventually we got our own studio space and, and Charles was you know becoming the producer that he had been training to do you know in college and everything and so he was starting to record and doing things and um, and we were doing demos and the demos that we were doing were starting to get each demo was better when we first met in Boston the first thing we did was a demo you know it was immediately like we're going to record and uh, and there was a mission there was already like a project we put on the table it was it's interesting because our whole life has kind of been like a series of projects um so we had a project on the table so when we did the demos by that time we already had figured out cover art and things and when we did these demos they'd end up on a cassette we'd end up type doing you know the printing and everything and then we'd probably give it out at shows i don't even remember what i don't think we sold it i don't know what we did but we, we seemed to have cassettes of that stuff um but they were demos and eventually those demos that were done by us became we we had a demo for example it was produced by another guy who was like i've done some indie stuff i've done you know some i can't remember the bands now but he had done some kind of cool stuff some cool bands he's like i want to produce you so he produced a few songs that way so by the time we got to uh and but at the same time we were putting records out and what i had been learning at cmj as well was how to put a record out because at the same time i was like seeing all these bands that were diy as well and i became aware of like things that i didn't really know about and because i had been a booking agent it had helped a little bit but i i was starting to learn about radio starting about college radio and and uh and i was meeting you know pr people and, and folks that i were you know starting to getting into the industry and starting to op open my eyes to like all these other channels and avenues so we were using all those tools um to to push our way through so by the time we got to our let's say our third manager you know we had our first record out um and because we decided we're going to do we're going to shrink wrap we know exactly what the routes are we know who the people are and so on and so forth and so we did that uh we did the mailings ourselves and everything we had to do and, and then we went on tour by the time we went on tour on a first tour for a record though we had already done small uh that was another thing that we put on our plate like we started doing a demo and then boom you know we were going to like his to baltimore you know doing like short trips on the weekends yeah. and automatically we started doing something that other bands in new york weren't doing that some other bands weren't doing there was a there was a level of bands that were way beyond us and then there was a level of bands that were local bands that it didn't even occur to them to go on tour or yeah. to do you know do original things and you know we were like okay we got to get out of here we got to do this we got to do that so by the time we got to our first record, we were like, okay, well, we've done all those short things. Now we're going to do, you know, I'm going to take my two weeks off from CMJ or whatever, and we're going to, and we're going to go out and we're going to, we're going to tour on a record and we're going to do it strategically. And we're going to have, you know, we're going to show up at every date. And by that date, they've heard the record and, and we're going to get an interview and stuff. And so that really worked really effective for us. Um, and we had a little bit of press about that. The first record was on like CMJ jackpot, the cover and stuff. And, uh, and then from there, I think that uh, that's what, Charles kind of connected through Craigslist and the internet and stuff. He connected like we had done a couple singles. He said, "Hey, I, you know, there was a music supervisor looking for something," and he got the record out to him. Uh, and that's my understanding of it. And he'll, he might say it slightly different, but that's kind of what happened. And uh, he got it out to him, and it turns out the guy was a music supervisor and was thinking about managing bands and loved the record and had there's a couple bands he loved and he really loved that record. So he brought that to the Empire Records folks. And they started cutting to, my understanding was they started cutting to all, all the music from that, you know, se several songs from it. But of course, they couldn't use all the music in the final cut. So it got reduced down to like, let's pick a single. And that single, that single, uh, Here It Comes Again, had been re-recorded several Great times. Song. Thank you. It had been recorded several times. And um, the first time that it got recorded, it, you know, we had come back from a tour. I might have been touring the second record, Electric Living Room. We'd gone all the way to Texas, and we were playing out. We were playing. We we spent a lot of time playing through Texas, 
and uh, one of the highlights of the, this was we met a we met a, a band out in Stafford, Texas, who let us stay at their place. And at the end of the night, the next morning, after a long night, the next morning, they said, you know, a band gave us this. Uh, we're gonna, we want you to have it while you go on tour the rest of your tour. And it was uh, like twelve days on the road with the Sex Pistols. <laughs> <laughs> and and and, uh, and so uh, we toured through Texas and then the rest of the U.S. <laughs> their with, only U.S. tour. Yeah, their only U.S. Yeah. tour. And uh, and so we read this book. I. I, I I was reading about the snake farms in the book while I was going by snake farms in Texas. Um, and then we took that, 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 uh, that book went on the road with us all the way through Boone, North Carolina, through everywhere, and the whole band read it. Um, but by the time we came back, but, but we were basically, at that point, we were starting to incorporate, you know, uh, I guess, did we play South by Southwest? Yeah, we played South by Southwest a couple times. Um, and we were starting to get, you know, starting to parlay things. So we, we, we basically met our manager out on a West Coast tour. We made it out to the West Coast, and we had done a long tour coming down the Pacific Coast Highway. Um, I don't know what record that was on, but uh, at this point, like our, I guess our I guess our our, uh, our profile was we were still a young baby band, um, but we were in the we were in the bloodstream. I mean, that yeah. was the that was the that was kind of the that was kind of the the you know I don't know if that means as far as we could go, but that's what we were doing. That's where we were, um, and so we were, and so there we were, and we were and. By the time that we, you know, moved on from then, uh, you know, oh, I was going to say the single, the, the, that song that was written, Here It Comes Again, it was post us playing out in Denton, Texas, which is where they had done Lollapalooza. Supposedly that's where Perry first saw, like, you know, he, was, he knew Texas and he was like, I want to do a music festival. And supposedly this was the spark of him wanting to do Lollapalooza. And it was out in Denton, Texas. And North Texas State out there is out there as well, which is a great jazz, incredible jazz school, which... Uh, snarky puppy comes from. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so I, I really enjoyed. Uh, as a matter of fact, I was in Denton, Texas, when I heard that Kurt Cobain had committed suicide. Oh, I remember that being right. I remember exactly where I was. Um, so we were playing. So, so when I came back, there was a great band called. Uh, I forgot what the name of the band was called. But anyway, they came back and they really inspired me to come back and want. Right here, it comes again. There was just a vibe about it. So I came and wrote it. I had sublet my room. Uh, and I came back and I sat on the couch on the on the what I did still own from the, the apartment I lived in, and uh, and I and I wrote that song and that song we ended up re-recording several times, um, and eventually it it was like we got to pick a single so on and so forth let's go ahead with the budget whatever and so then that turned into something even different there all of a sudden it sort of ended up out of our hands a little bit you know because you're going with the momentum of just someone pays attention to you and someone likes you and someone wants to do something and you kind of go with that with that plan. And I think we had a great experience. It was an amazing experience. Um, but then there are certain things that are out of your hands, you know, where it goes after that. You know, and in our case, uh, where it went after that, at least at the time, seemed like it had been truncated a little bit because, the, you know, the, the, the movie, the movie, what, the soundtrack was better than the movie, I guess, or whatever, and the movie got the money pulled and, and you know, they went through that kind of thing where I remember, you know, Finishing the record, I remember going out producing with the producer and everything. I remember going out through LA, like you know, with the car, you know, with a car rented by the <laughs> record label yeah, and yeah. the and the the top down and a beautiful girl with me and thinking, you know, yeah, man, this is all gonna change, man. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be a rock star, you know. This is gonna be amazing, um, and it felt like that way, and it was great that way. It was great that way. Um, uh, but then I think that uh, um, 
you know, when after that, or when we came back after that, it was like, okay, here we are, ready for the next level. Then it came down to, okay, what well, now? What else is everybody else going to do? And, and I remember walking down like Lexington Avenue, but you know, past the movie theater and seeing this, you know, coming soon, Empire Records. Um, and then literally, like, a, you know, five six days later, the the poster not being there, and I'd be like, oh, went straight to, straight to video. You know, so that happened right away. You know, that happened, re- you know, really really quickly. So from there, it became it became okay. What do you want to do next? You know, and we were, you know, and I, at least I felt like I, you know, I, I felt a little straitjacketed by having to do it a certain way and having to have it mastered a certain way and like certain things that had to happen. But I understood that there was a business aspect and you had to kind of go with the flow. Um, but when it came time to do the next record, you know, it, 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 it you know, Jerry Harrison from the talking is he want, he wanted to do a second record with us. Uh, and it just came down to, well, can we get the budget and do all that kind of stuff we're going to do? And, and then through all that, we went through all the same drama that every band goes through where they're, they've been on the road, they're, you know, they're tired of each other sometimes, and, or they want to, you know, we, you know we, we, we got to a point where we decided to do our third record on our own because um, we just had so many ideas, so we did Sentimental Watermelon, which is a great record. I like that record, yeah. actually. It's one of my favorite records of the, of the three. Um, and we decided to do that record because it was based on sort of just, you know, we're pretty audacious. We're pretty, you know, we felt strong. We felt like we're going to, you know, we, we, we'll persevere. We'll get through all this. And we've got plenty of, uh, you know, no one's going to hold us down. We're going to, no one's going to hold us back. And we kept on going with that same rock and roll ethos of doing our thing. So we did it on our own. We did that record on our own. And then, uh, and I think from there, um, you know, everything else was starting to happen for us as well. And in other ways, you know what I mean? Like we were start, I was, I, Charles was doing more production and things were happening in that sense. And, and uh, you know, we started veering off a little bit. And then, and then the classic thing is the, the sort of the, the th- after the third record and the tour, the, the band went dormant for a while. It never really ceased. It just kind of went dormant. And we went on and moved on to other things. You know, but you're not knowing how that's gonna, how yeah. that's all gonna pan out. You know, but then years later, now you know, Empire Records is you know considered a cult classic, yeah. and there's, and there's you know, and, and we've been in some interesting situations, you know, fun situations where people are like really like love the record and love love that album. Um, and that album was a benchmark for a lot of stuff. You know, it really really changed how people looked at soundtracks and how you could take a soundtrack and make it apart from a movie. You could really separate them and make them successful. Uh, and the first one, the soundtrack being the one that you know, su- superseded uh, the, you know, the, 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 the film. And the film, it just eventually became, uh, you know, something that people, you know, became sort of like the Fast Times at Richmond High, yeah, or the, yeah, yeah. you know, for, for a generation of, of kids, you know. But tell me, uh, how'd you build off of that to start this new project, Supercell? When did this start? And when did you kind of decide, hey, I want to start this new project? Um, and what did you envision with it when you? That's an interesting question. I think that uh, what happened was is that um, in sort of our post our our post sort of band you know thing we we kind of went you know as I said we kind of went our different ways a little bit and everyone started doing their own work and I started um, kind of exploring other avenues and getting into other bands and I wanted to take on. Um, the role of not being the lead singer and not being the lead guy, which I had been doing for a long time. And, and there, you know, we had, we, there were, I just felt like I wanted to just concentrate on other things and just be a little freer. Uh, so I started joining some other groups 
you know, trying to get in, well, first trying to get into other groups, which, you know, because it's just horrible, like the village voice and all that kind of stuff, <laughs> ads and all that. But I, but anyways, I, I, I managed to be in a couple of very, very cool, uh, cool British group called Ultra and uh, another band called Of Earth with a good friend of mine. Cool, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, Of Earth is a band that, uh, that I play with, uh, with a guy named Rob DeLuca, who has a new record out on Frontier called Spread Eagle. Uh, that he been he was assigned to MCA uh, a bunch of years ago, and he had a great like sort of a hard, good hard rock record, a really great hard rock record. Got a lot of respect, but uh, it, it didn't go, you know I guess it wasn't uh, a smash hit or whatever. But he's got a, a new record out called Speed of Sound, which is a great record, and he happens to be the bass player for UFO as well. Um, so anyway, so he so he's a great writer, and uh, and so him and I uh, found each other. He was from Boston, the Boston area, as well, and we'd sort of been crossing paths a lot. So we st we formed a band called Of Earth, um, which has a, a couple records out. Um, same thing, you know. We we got some you know we, uh, some some really great writing, some great stuff. Uh, um, very interesting, and it kind of combines his love of Tool and my love of sort of like. A, a, sort of progressive like a little bit some progressive yes i guess prog progressive the way i would call it um what was the what was the question again well how does that <laughs> so starting this project how to come about type of thing because this oh what listen oh. to this record doesn't sound like tool or right 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 right, like right progressive right, right it doesn't sound like a prog record right either. okay so in the post of all that and being yeah. in these other bands eventually i ended up I ended up subbing at uh, uh, for, at a school of rock at a, at a school of rock in the city uh, before it went corporate. I had I was in the school of rock and I started teaching there and I became a teacher there. And uh, eventually, as I moved up over the few years that I was there, I went from teacher to music director to, to show director, and then I was a music director out in Port Washington. And uh, I did that for a couple of years, and uh, and then uh, a few years back, back in 2010. Uh, I left there and I started my own school. Some of the folks that I had met, some of the kids that I had met in 2007, had uh, uh, who had been my small lieutenants and been sort of my my guys. Right, have their own bands now. Yeah. Right? Well, some of them. Yeah. yeah some of them have. They, yes. I, I have. I have. There's yeah. a lot. There's a lot that that, that now have their own bands and doing their own thing. And and some of them came over to to school with me uh, to this new school that I had started. Yeah. And then I met some new students while we were doing that. My new school out in Belmore, Long Island, and. Uh, and so I was doing that, and I've been doing that for, you know, this has now been 10 years or so. And through all that time, they've grown up, obviously, and they, we all grew up together. You know, I was growing up in a school setting, almost in the way that, like, some of the great bands did. You know, some of the, some of the great bands that I really admire, you know, like, they all went, they all met in school, or they went to uh, an art school together. They did, had some kind of an interaction that just gave them that X factor. And so I found myself, like, in this educated, in you know, this situation where I was in, like, around doing shows and and being around new music all the time and it was just uh, we, were, it was, we were just inundated and we were just all sort of growing together in that time those students as they got better they you know spotify was out and things like that and they became more and more aware of of please and they were aware of sort of the empire records thing and stuff and they became more and more aware of it and then from one day to the next at some point there were a few students that i heard that were listening to some please stuff and they started playing it uh, they played a couple songs, um, and they were just, they were digging it. And and at the time, I was also directing ensembles. You know, I was doing we were doing we were doing cover. You know, we teach through cover through yeah. cover songs and stuff. So we're doing, and we do every we'll do different ensembles. So we'll do the Talking Heads. We'll do you'll know, we'll do pop. You know, we'll do different things. And I kind of felt a bit 
what I loved is that I still had that. I still wanted to write. I still, I still write. I still been doing all that. I still, I'm always, I've been recording. I have a lot of catalog. My whole thing is I've always wanted a body of work, no matter which way I go. I want a body of work. So I've been recording for a long time. So I had all these songs that were just sitting around for you know a bunch of years, uh, sitting around on a demo tape, you know. Uh, and so I got to, and so, and and it's, and I also want to write some more stuff. So, and I also want to show them that like you know, okay, so we're doing all this pop stuff, and you know, and and you guys challenge my opinion sometimes you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna write show some you stuff. i can do it i'm gonna show you i can do it exactly so i did that and uh they were like cool let's do this song let's do this song so all of a sudden i just you know i just went into this sort of just writing frenzy and i wrote a lot of songs plus i brought a lot of i was like all of a sudden i had this band that wanted to see the thing was is the band had so been so good at recreating other people's music for the longest time they just could execute in a way that's i don't, I don't think i could at their age um, that they ended up being really great at, at, at doing that. And so, and so, and they had great ears. So what happened for me was that, is that, uh, uh, you know, I was really around some really very, very talented uh, young people who over time I managed out of the hundreds that had been there, I managed to find the, the, the you know, the five brightest dudes I could have, you know, I, could, I couldn't trust more than anybody else in the world for their, what they can hear and what they can do. And we all grew up together. We were playing all these songs and doing this stuff. And so these stylings kind of hit us. And in the meantime, I, I was reflecting all of that. And so I wrote a lot of material. And that ultimately became Supercell. Um, you know, uh, it, 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 you know, like I said, these guys are fierce. So it started off with a template of us, of me writing a bunch of songs and me having that, you know, using that experience and have that, that sort of song craft and being like, this is where I want to go. And, and, and I also felt like I didn't want, I didn't care how I sounded in a certain way. I mean, I guess that's the other side of it. It was like, I wasn't trying to go for anything. I was trying to go for like, just, just do it and just be whatever it is. And, and maybe it'll be what you've wanted it to be. You know, and that's what it started to sound like. All of a sudden, I was writing something saying, "I'm just going to write this because it feels right," and then, and then all of a sudden, it'd be like people were like, "Oh, that sounds," or in, that I can hear this influence of this or that, and I'm just like, I'm not being as conscious about my writing anymore. So I think, in terms of of uh, trying to be more honest and be more mature as a writer, I think that that allowed me the freedom to do that, and because we're being turned on to so much new music, which is which in my mind is so progressive, you know, from hip hop to, to there's, you know, there's, there's the alt hip hop now and there's, you know, there's, there's alt progressive now. And, you know, th I think that there's uh, all of that stuff just really turned into um, what Supercell turned into. And, and now, and now, uh, even though I had like this core set of catalogs sort of that we, that we play off of and has become like the first few records, um, there's collaborations on there now because, because these, I mean, we, kill it when we're jamming you know i mean we have a, a rehearsal space that's 24 7 um we just have full all we have it's we have a, a good situation where we just have all access um and so it allows us to really sort of turn into something very organic and so that record this record that we just did um you know is sort of a reflection of that it's it's the catalog of, it's a bunch of songs uh that i wrote to start supercell uh but it involves a lot of the um the 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 signature sounds and the stylings of of the individual members like these guys can uh, it's you know it's, I'm really really I listen to the record and I'm really uh, I, I find them to be extraordinary uh, you know players and and um, and incredible and have who have incredible ears uh, so they do beautiful things yeah it's a really great record I'm really enjoying it it's self titled right super ah uh, yeah yeah see it's the yeah it's the debut I mean it, you know yeah just supercell it's with one L uh, it's uh it's our affinity for uh it's my affinity for for um 
supercell thunderstorms, you know, like the, the, the beginnings of a sort of a tornado. Uh, so I think that, so for me, that's, that's kind of like with the way I reflect the music. I think the music, I'm not sure where we're going with that, but if I were to think about like how I was thinking, you know, I often think about the music as a vortex, you know, so that there's a lot going on. There's a lot sort of spinning around a core um, and creating a lot of momentum and, 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 and fury. And so I think that sometimes uh, like our crescendos and things uh, build uh, to those kind of moments. And, um, and I think that that reflects sort of my, my desire for the symphonic side of things, which I've always liked in music. And, uh, and, and, and that's why when I think from a progressive standpoint, I think about you know, expanded arrangements and um, not necessarily in this way that we think of Prague where it's just all uh, you know, time signature changes or things like that. Yeah. It's not like that. I'm thinking more of a conceptual arc of, of, uh, of the, how you open you know, to uh, you know the drama in a song in your arrangements and i think that some of the songs you know you you, you know our, each record gets better i suppose but uh you know we try to create that drama in in, in these songs um you know and then and segue from sort of scene to scene uh, in the way that hip-hop does which is what's really turning me on right now i, I listen to a um, you know i'm as much as listening to uh you know childish gambino as i am listening to emerson lake and palmer wow you know it's yeah. just a cool thing very interesting and mm. what about recording this record it's coming out through mother west or it's out through mother west did you work with charles or did you self-produce or yeah well uh w work with charles um you know again that's a thing that was like that logical connection you know there there are things that i think that there well there's there's it's it's one of those interesting you know, I guess it's maybe it's a common relationship amongst people that have worked well, have worked well for a long time together. But uh, you know, sometimes you say something, and and you know, you already have that reference. I can yeah, I can say something about a vocal and be like, I want it to sound like this, and the way we did it that way on that thing. And you know, he'll be like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? That uh, connection from working together. Yeah, yeah, you know, so you have a sense of what you've been going for, and and perhaps you're both still trying to go for the same. You're trying to. You're still trying to achieve that that vision that you felt that you had together to begin with. So it's a logical extension for me. Uh, you know, as it started, it started off with my core writing way back when, and then through Please, we ended up collaborating and things. And now it's almost gone full circle where I'm at the ahead again, coming in with my catalog of stuff, and then he's helping build all that out with the band. Um, and then so in that sense, you know, the, the recording, the production, the things that we, those choices that we've made are choices that we were making when we were making those cassette demo tapes, you know, making those choices. And, uh, and, and, and at this point, I think that, you know, uh, also, you know, trying to listen more to one another. Like, like I think, the, I think in general, I think that that's, that's part of the, the equation over time that, you, that, you know, you've gone through a lot. And, and, and so it's a really wonderful dynamic to have been in a band that has, uh, albeit small, but a small legacy of something, uh, and to be able to reflect back on it and, and say, wow, we did all these things, and we, and we did them with this dynamic, and we lived that, that arc of a story of, a, of, a, of an indie band, you know, yeah, indie band in the sure. 90s. You know? it's, it's, it's very fascinating to hear that whole history. I love hearing about indie bands in the 90s and dealing with some of the things that they were confronted with as you kind of went into detail and what you're doing now, which sounds really great as well, Supercell. So thank you for sharing all that. I definitely want to play some Supercell songs right now. 
any ones you'd want to hear in particular? I was thinking Original Sin is great. So is Glory Nights. Any song that yeah, any any song that uh, that uh, that that you dig. I mean, the, the you know, it's funny. Last night we were we were rehearsing and and we we're for, like an obscure track for us. We pulled out Love Is Strong, you know, like and we just let's we did that sort of. Uh, on the fly and sometimes we're you know we're not sure exactly what songs we want to do from the record and what songs are uh are you know we're still trying to figure that out where you know all our live shows where we have so much of a catalog that we're we're putting where you're replacing songs doing this song you know this song or that song and uh a lot of the sets like when we're playing mondo festival coming up and uh you know that's the 40 minute set you know and it's like well what songs do we do you know and some of the songs that we want to do are songs that are, are in the the second and third record that hasn't come out yet <laughs> you know and I'm like i'm like i'm not i'm kind of wow. done with some of these songs because the thing is it's you know at, at some point you, you you know you live with them long enough that you're that, that you you know you're you're the energy and the spark actually the way we get the energy and the spark back in the song is either a if we're in front of an audience or b if if we let the song go for a while we don't play it for a while and then we come back and be then revisit it and be like i'm so sick of that song and then you play it and then you're like Okay, now we we just breathe some new life into it, or it just sounds sounds fresh again, you know. Uh, but for for the average listener, I cannot be objective. So it's like this. so for someone who's just sing for the first time, I would go with your impulses and play what you think is cool. cool. Let's go with original sin. Times have changed. Love is strong. Since you just mentioned it, and I really like Jitterbug as well. So we'll be playing those four tracks from Supercell's debut self-titled album, and we'll be back.
We're back. Just heard four songs off of Supercell's debut album. 
Where can everyone get their hands on that? Is it on streaming services yet? Yes, it's on. Uh, yeah, I've been listening to the SoundCloud link. So yeah, it's, sure. it's on. Uh, well, it's on Spotify, of course. Yeah. Uh, Spotify, Apple, iTunes. I mean, um, you know, we have it on Reverb Nation, um, SoundCloud, like you said. Cool. Um, and uh, and I guess it's on. It's on our Facebook page. The link is on there. And uh, what else? Where else would it be? Would it be? I guess uh, I guess that's anywhere, <laughs> everywhere you go to I find think so, music. Yeah. Yeah, Supercell yeah. with one L. Google one Play, word. actually Google Play. Probably. One word: S U P E R C E L. That's it. And it's you know it's Supercell official Instagram and Instagram um, and SupercellMusic.com. Uh, that's where you can get a bunch. You, yeah, there's a you know point to like check out. I guess. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. And now we're going to play some records. You picked some, and we're going to kick it off with the MC5, who I just mentioned are playing in New York, I think in October, with uh, Shark Muffin, Brooklyn Band is open. Oh, wow. They're a great band. And I thought that was really interesting. I'm looking forward to that show. I wonder what it's going to be like. It's at, yeah. I think, Le Poisson Rouge in the West Village. So yeah, yeah. Well, I guess Wayne is... They're they're playing a show right here. You know, listen, I tell you, I mean, this is just goes to the you know the, the animal that is rock and roll. That you know, if they can capture the spirit, uh, you know, that's all they need to do. They don't need to, you know, they just need to be. They just need to capture that the musical spirit of what MC Five was. Yeah, and that's enough. You know, it's enough. And you know, some guys can't be there, of course. You know, obviously. So it's like it's just. Um, you know, you go out there and hopefully, even if it's just Wayne and his guys around him, you know, hope, you know, I'm sure that they probably just like honor the legacy as anybody else would yeah. and we'll just kill it, you know, just go out there and kick it, you know? I mean, it's like if you play Black Sabbath and you're just, you know, if you're the only guy in the Black Sabbath, maybe it's not the original Black Sabbath, but if you capture the spirit of War Pigs yeah. and it's like, it's, you got to let the music do the talking. Yeah. You know, as Joe Perry said, let the music do the talking. So he's like, you know, it, it's it is what it is. It's the powerful. That's why we're, you know, when when you showed me these albums, I'm looking at so many of your albums, and there's so many things on there, and there's so many more touchstones and great records. And you hear one, you know, I see one record, and I'm thinking, you know, oh wow, that, that I remember that other project or this other band, this other thing, uh, and it's all the power of the music, you know, and uh, you know, and, and you, you, it just it outlasts. Obviously, it outlasts the artist. You hope that it is. It's that strong that it does that. And the MC5 does that, of course. You know, that's just garage band, so the spirit of rock and roll. Yeah, one of the, you know, it's it's proto-punk, basically. Yeah. It's punk. It has those, that attitude and that kind of abrasiveness before punk was officially punk, I'd mm. say. MC5, the same thing with the Stooges yeah. and stuff like that. That's really kind of what... I think of when someone throws out the phrase proto-punk. Well, I also think that it's also thrill and spectacle. There's, yeah. a, there's an aspect of thrill and spectacle to this that that uh, when you got into like sort of the anti-thrill and spectacle from punk bands, which I mean, I, I love punk bands, but there's you know there was at, there was at some point sort of a and we're not gonna we're not gonna do the show part that everybody else is doing, Nick. And so when you're still you see Wayne, you know, when in his like you know this gold. I don't know what is that would call it, like that gold <laughs> yeah, glitter yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's glam punk, you know, it, or, 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 you know, still very, very exciting, you know, and, and you know, Iggy was thrilling, you know, I, I, Iggy was jumping all over the place or cutting himself up or whatever, you know, yeah. it's like, I mean, these guys were thrilling, you know, and so, uh, yeah, there's that sort of like nuclear, 
that explosion of just getting all this. And it's also, there's a, there's a bit of a revivalist side to this too, which is what I love about like, garage rock. You know, when he's coming out, it was like church, you know, kick off the jazz. Yeah. You know, it's just, he's coming out there and he's like a reverent, you know? So I think it's, uh, it's I got a chance to see uh, uh, way back when uh, David Johansson. Wow. Uh, when he was, it was post Dolls, but pre, it was like, it was when it was David Johansson, pre Buster Poindexter, you know? Yeah. I was a kid. Someone brought me to a club. Uh, and I saw him and uh, it was one of the most amazing experiences because, uh, you know, w he was bringing this big, big show to a very small stage, you know, um, and, and it just exploded, you know, like a smaller stage and it wasn't like a stadium stage. He wasn't in the mainstream, uh, you know, but he was playing on, you know, on, on the stage and just exploding with, with excitement, you know, uh, in that, in, in this sort of the, the great tradition of some of the, you know, Little Richards or... Uh, you know, those kind of guys, yeah. you know, it's like really exploding. And so the, the MC5, I think, captures that rock and roll spirit yeah. the same way, or, you know, that, that like almost like Little Richard, you know, like, you know, Tutti on Fruity, Fruity, you know, it's like, it's, uh, it, you know, it's, it's, it, it comes out and it's just like, boom, kick out the jazz, yeah, it's you know, incredible. boom, 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 boom. And you just can't help but just bounce up and down and be like, this is dangerous rock very dangerous <laughs> yeah and because it's going to incite it's well it's funny excuse me a second it's for saying but it's gonna, they say it's going to incite a riot <laughs> and of course you know they were they were like the the the, the, the flagship band for the, the black panthers and uh you know so they you know they have a great storied history about they have social activism um but it reminds me of of uh of uh the band television how the how, uh there was a moment there apparently with television where uh, one of the things that they would do is that they would people they would somehow their music would incite some level of aggression <laughs> wow <laughs> like, like, yeah. and you know when you listen to it you you listen to a television record it's like you, you sometimes you feel that you feel that nervous energy that nervous yeah. energy that makes you want to do something you know what i mean it's interesting because i never wanted to like flip over a car though right 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 well yeah marky moon or Adv even adventure right. i love those records they, you know two of my favorite records ever but I never got the sense of rioting, but I did feel that like kind of. Yeah. You know, oh, actually, no, no. Uh, no uh, uh, I'm sorry. I was thinking suicide. The band oh, suicide. Okay. That's yeah. what I was thinking. Well, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Those guys were. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. That's right. That's what yeah. I was thinking. Suicide. Yeah. The, like that stuff is just it incited a bit of like that. You know, like something, something's got to happen. Something's got to happen. Yeah. And you felt that when you saw like the uh, you know, I mean. It, footage or the MC5. Can you find footage? Do you find a little bit of them uh, in a park? And it's like, and then that's it. That's like, I don't, I think there's like the lost, I don't know where you can find footage of MC5. I'm always looking for it. Yeah. And I can never find it. I find I, there's live records, but there's nothing. There's very short clip, like 20 minutes or something of them kicking. Yeah. And I think it's almost like a, just a promo reel for a social thing or something. Now you have to look on YouTube for it, but uh, really very amazing. Cool. Yeah. And what song would you like to hear? Much. I mean, yeah, but I mean, you know, listen, I, I always like the very, very long arrangements because I just tend to be a. I, 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 just, I love the audacity of a, of, a, of a long song sometimes. It's just drawing you out. It's, I've been listening a lot to uh, like Hawkwind, you know, and, and, and if you listen to the evolution of Hawkwind, they start off as space rock, and that, of course, that was Lemmy's band. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and in that evolution, it is, it's a, there's a great documentary on it where you watch and you realize that these guys had a history over the course of like 25 years, and they have all these personnel that were very, very signature personnel and each phase of the band. So at one point they had a guy that was just like 
great writer, great singer, great lyricist, but he was so socially conscious that he just went overboard and he became an extremist. And at some point he got the band in trouble, you know, and that was like one phase, but they had some brilliant music that combined like industrial and space rock and all these different things. Uh, and then when Lemmy was in it, there was another vibe that was going on yeah. with the band, you know, uh, but it was still had that, that core, that, that core stuff going on. Uh, so anyways that was like all this I think all this music was sort of influenced by that these long excursions into straight up meat and potatoes rock in certain ways but throwing these long droning moments yeah. where they, you know where they get long uh, but Kick Out the Jams is a great is, is a great start for anyone you know it's a, it's a good short single uh, let's do it as an exploding nuclear single because I think that also uh, you know part of Supercell's challenge is to start, try to get sort of these little moments of, uh, of excitement and try to put them into a small little single, which we don't seem to be able to do very well, very easily. But, um, but, uh, but MC5 is a great example of, of uh, directions that we, uh, I think, ambitiously want to take. Very cool. And next, Prince the Black Album. Well, there's not too much you can say about Prince, except that, you know, I mean, I don't know. There's nothing else that can, one can say about Prince. It's just, uh, this is just a, a great, uh, uh, I mean, it had the lore to it, you know. It had the great rock and roll lore of like, the, you know, it's who's going to hear the Black Album? Have you heard the Black Album? Yeah. You know, and, uh, and, and of course, it was his indulgence, you know. It was one of his indulgence. He had so many recordings. Um, but his indulgence in getting like really down and dirty with straight up, you know, funk and, and, and playing with a lot of different... Uh, you know, there's this, there's some instrumental moments on here, which just, it's, it's, you know, I think it's, it's just Prince's evolution was obviously, uh, uh, um, it was one that was rooted still in, in R&B and, and rhythm and blues more than anything else. And, 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 you know, everything that he was exploring after that, expanding into jazz and jazz harmony or putting it in the context of something that was, uh, that was pretty straight ahead. Like in this record, you know, there's like what he's doing harmonically over some of these basic what you think are straight up funk grooves but with syncopation and things there's placing things and horns and the way he's doing that you know um and then there's and then and then some of his rapping you know there's a bunch yeah. of rapping which is which which in some ways i don't entirely associate with 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 prince you know i know it's part of his bigger deeper catalog but when i but 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 i feel like he had a real real affection for uh you know, melody in its most traditional sense. You know, and, and, and no, no, just to 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 to, to hip hop and rhyme, rhyming. But you know, when he would take off musically with a you know a note or something and put it over something harmonically, I think that that's really where he. You know, when you listen to his slower stuff, when you listen to his ballads, um, sometimes it rains in April or you know these these other deeper songs that were off of their other records. Um, the the uh, Sort of the records I think that I think a lot of artists go through like sort of their Beatles period, and I think that that's what Prince did as well. I think he went through his you know with uh, uh, around the world in a day, um, under the cherry moon. He's really he, and, and really on around the world in a day, which was just obviously the, the follow up to Purple Rain. Um, you could really see those real you know Paisley Park and things like that. He was a nod to his, to the sixties and the seventies. Yeah, for sure. You know, and the way he produced that stuff. But you hear, you, but through that you hear even Diamonds and Pearls. You know, these all these wonderful ballads that he was singing and stuff. So I so I think that, that sometimes I think that uh, he was putting out so much output that he needed sort of the black album to kind of just feel like put all put all his funk in a box sort of like yeah. and, and and that's it because it's it's very very stylized in certain ways. It's like it's a very specific part of his 
of, of his, one of his cores. But he's capable of doing that on any album, you know, taking you down a, a rabbit hole and being like, this is deep and that's deep. And I guess that's what was the genius of him, that he had a lot of deep, deep, you know, uh, treasure troves of ideas um, from different camps um, that all combined into this one, you know, musical guy, you know. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. And then 10CC. Well, 10CC... <clears throat> I'm, you know, the song that I love is uh, uh, the song called I'm, I'm, I'm Not In Love. Uh, and it's, it, the cool thing about this record is, well, first of all, this is, this is Godly and Cream. Godly and Cream were uh, producers who eventually uh, got, they were sort of at the, at the, at the onset of uh, the video. They were doing video, they were doing, they were doing really interesting production and really interesting video and say that they got in there at the beginning of like video producers, sort of pre-MTV. Uh, along with like Todd Rundgren, you know, there were guys that were like visionaries from that from that era who were thinking ahead, and were really at the at, at, at the at the beginnings of that. So, um, so I think it's really interesting because uh, they were just a, a great duo. Um, but that particular song just sort of encompasses a lot of like um, sort of I, I guess put the nexus between between uh, sort of experimental and almost spatial rock. And I, when I say experimental, I mean ex I don't mean experimental in the sense that uh, it was trying to be weird or odd. It, but it was a nexus between, um, if you listen to "I'm Not in Love," there's moments where it just kind of morphs from one song, from one scene into the next, uh, and and and, uh, and it does it without necessarily using of heavy guitars. Uh, it does it with all voices, uh, with a really interesting mix. And and y you've probably heard the song before, where it, where it opens with, you know, very uh, a whispery, you know. Uh, Big boys don't cry. Big boys don't cry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, and it, you know, and and so the way that whole song was recorded was recorded really, really ingeniously. It, uh, uh, that entire, all those, all those, ah, uh, all of those things that sounds like a keyboard was actually a whole lot of multi-tracking that wow. happened on their board. Um, and they, they like, and they, they, there was a whole methodology to how they recorded that. And so it really creates this beautiful, beautiful landscape. Um, amongst where you can throw these these small little piano notes and things and, and a song like with the supercell with glory nights for example where you try to throw like just sort of brush strokes of the supercell song uh you try to throw brush strokes at different spots you know and so it was a really great use of, of production harmony and a beautiful song and ultimately it morphs into this almost like very soulful blue-eyed soul kind of kind of moment as well and so i just think the song really encapsulates a lot of uh uh, a, a lot of the beautiful part of production, sort of the nexus of production and songcraft uh, that represented the era. Awesome. Great take on that record. I didn't know anything about it like that. So thank you for all that good information. And finally, Sonic Youth's Dirty. Um, did this, this, is, this is interesting pick. Uh, did this record kind of coincide with your... Moved to New York, Sonic Youth is a New York band. Does it have any significance in that respect or when you were spending time in New York? It does. Uh, I think it's what's first of all, it started as, as I was, you know, if I go back to Boston, Boston days, part of my need to survive, the way I was going to survive in that booking agent you know, uh, being a booking agent, being a young booking agent. I mean, I was super green. You know what I mean? I was definitely, I was called the kid. I was, you know, I was, I was super green. Um, I was having to call every once in a while. I'd have to call like a major agent in New York, in New York City. Like the guy that was my mentor was sort of just, 
you know, he'd, he'd be like, I'll call for you, I'll call ICM, I'll call William Morris for you, you know, and, and, and these guys were like so intimidating, you know. Uh, but every once in a while, I'd get to call, you know, like the labor board or something. I get to call like a smaller place. But there were bands that I was like, okay, people are asking and colleges are asking for this band, but I don't know who this band is. I know that this band's kind of cool, you know, or the, or the booking agent is telling me, oh, well, you got to check out this. And I'm, and I'm, I don't want to say that I don't totally know who the band is at the time. So I'm just like, okay, cool, you know. And the name keeps on coming up. So Sonic Youth was one of those bands. I think they were managed by uh, the labor board at the time. And, uh, and I was like, cool name, don't know anything about them, you know. And then eventually I was like, uh, uh, I, that started sort of like, those things were sort of planted seeds in my head when I finally get to New York and I had an opportunity to like get turned on to it. And of course, at that point, you know, when I joined CMJ, CMJ was all about it. I mean, they knew all about all these bands. Um, and I was just, you know, just being like, oh my God, you know, I, I had had an open mind because of school. I was open to all kinds of music. Um, and, but I, I really just wanted to embrace this stuff. And what happened was, is that I started, I, I was listening and I found that it had a lot of qualities that, that I that I loved in music anyway. I mean, I was a big Grateful Dead fan, for example. I was a big Doors fan, you know, um, and uh, Doors used, uh, used dissonance and feedback, you know. Um, the Grateful Dead were using long, expansive uh, ar arrangements uh, that sometimes would border on just, you know, sheer chromatic color, just, you know, color. And of course, I was listening to like Miles and, and, and the Jazzers that I was hearing and some of the fusion stuff. And so Sonic Youth was just, uh, uh, it was it was part of the punk ethos that I was obviously like getting turned on to. You know, even bands like Treat or Right that had sort of a yeah. punk a a attitude about them a little bit. And, and of course, in Boston, I got turned on to like the Minutemen. Great, you know, great punk uh, yeah, the Minutemen, yeah. and then uh, uh, and 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 uh, yeah, and oh well, <laughs> I have to go back to a little bit that at the, around the time that I was in Boston, um, I also ended up the, the best. I guess the best way to learn a bunch of stuff is to have a cool girlfriend, and I had a cool girlfriend that was a DJ. She was a DJ at Emerson College, and so she was turning me on to a whole bunch of records that I had. I had she, she was like, you know, you know, I really dug her, so she was like, put. So we'd hang out, and she was just putting stuff on on the turntable. She's like, here's the Flaming Lips, here's Sonic Youth, here's you know, and she's like, kept on putting on. Here's the Chili Peppers, you know, and I was like, oh my god, my mind was exploding because when I was getting turned on to Chili Peppers, for example, it was like they were getting they were working with George Clinton. Yeah. You know, they were, you know, it was like the, the, the best, you know, the, the best part of the band, you know, it was like, it was, it, it was in their best incarnation, you know? Um, so it came down to this. So it was, so it was that, so that's how I got sort of introduced to, to that. And I, and I wanted to bring that into the music. I wanted to bring that element in. I had been starving for like some darkness. I didn't have any, I felt like I was, I felt like I was trying to achieve at the time of my evolution as a writer. I felt like I was trying to, um, achieve certain things, certain levels, uh, 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 but, not understanding um, that I had to use uh, some dark to give contrast to the light that I was trying to put in the music, as opposed to just being all light. And as a writer, I was I was just discovering that I was just you know I, I didn't have that contrast happening yet. So I think that I was finding from the music that I was listening to, I was finding that contrast. I was finding that deep tension that when it got relieved, it was like it was just amazing. And that's what I was getting from Sonic Youth. These moments of these huge crescendos with you know, a darkness and, and or just the feedback and the and creating all that color. Uh, and then based around these songs, you know, based around songs and, and of course, you know, uh, you know, Thurston's voice uh, had reminiscences of, of, of uh, Mark Sandman. Yeah. Um, and so, and, and, and the doors, you know, and, and they were using a, a lot of, uh, you know, uh, uh, 
even even the, the John Densmore, you know, the Doors drummer, you know, he was a jazz guy, you know, and you can hear that in in, in the drums of you can hear you can hear those 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 that that conceptual stuff. I mean, Sonic Youth, you know, especially working within that Lower East Side, the John Zorn scene and that whole thing. I mean, these guys are conceptual folks, so huge art, you know, and I, this was like art punk for yeah. me, you know, it was absolute art punk, and um, and that and and that really sort of uh, seeped into. You know, plus our, our my love of the flaming lips and people like that, just it really seeped into uh, into what we were doing. Um, that's how it kind of got to that point. Cool. And yeah. what song would you like to hear? Oh, let's take a look. Uh, and this, you know, it's funny about Sonic Youth too, because also by the time they came out with this record, this was, you know, they had they had also endured a lot of, you know. They suffered a lot, like on when they tried to hit the mainstream. And I mean, I, uh, uh, you know, there's the there's the wonderful tour that uh, I, don't, I don't know if it actually became a tour. I know that uh, Neil Young was a big fan. Yeah, yeah, he was a huge fan, and so you know, and that, ins- and I would I would say that that probably inspired Weld uh, to some extent, you know, because of all that feedback that he's using, and or vice versa, you know. Uh, and Sonic Youth was surprised that Neil Young put them on the tour but he put them on and I know that there was a show in Boston where they were you know booed off the stage and they're uh, you know and because people didn't get it yeah. people didn't get what they were you know what they were doing and of course it was for people like Neil Young I guess a visionary to be like no these guys are really badass yeah. and uh, and you should like them but of course it didn't have a, you know it wasn't easy to snap your finger to and it wasn't you know and, 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 and these guys you know they were I, I suppose that they were probably players that kind of came in turn and grew into their music uh, you know, the high concept was high art, you know, and highly conceptual. But to the extent that they were great players beforehand, I have no idea. Uh, but they were obviously, you know, massively musical. Uh, and then they and, and they, they grew into that, you know, what they were doing, you know, and became a real interesting thing. And, and they were, along the way, along the way, we, I, you know, I, uh, I played in a band called uh, Escapade, which was an experimental rock band, kind of in the vein of like Hawkwind and stuff. And we had no lyrics, no, you know, we all we did was... All we did was do, uh, uh, we get together as a band. It was one of the guys from Please, Hatley Khan from yeah. Please, the drummer. And he, this, is what, this is one of the post projects we're talking about, post Please, where we just got together a group of people and we never knew what instruments we were going to bring, but we just get in a room and we record it. And we put, put out like six albums that way of just completely, we did some live stuff, just completely experimental stuff. And it had all of these different, you know ideas you know i'd bring in prepared guitars and we'd have you know different effects and things and all that you know was inspired by some of these guys that were doing that you know i was really getting into uh like i said john like john torn's naked city stuff like that and so uh and so that really inspired it to the point where we did do a a small festival down the lower east side with uh we played and so did and so did thurston thurston had come down from a he had come down from a show He'd come down and just play his pedals, but he, they had, him and Kim had just been shuttled back from a Bowie show because Bowie had invited them to play his like 50th birthday wow. party wow. at the Garden. And, uh, and they told the story about how they, they were invited to go and they went and they, they were just kind of blown away that they were like shuttled in, you know, backstage, this whole deal. And like the Bowie was like totally into what they were about, wow. you know, and then they came down and they did the show that we did with them. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I, I was really, really uh, excited to be inspired so with by those guys. So anyway, so uh, by the time Dirty came on, this is like now their big major label yeah, stuff. Yeah. This is now this like is... college radios embrace yeah. them, you know, and. Uh,
Well, I love Creme Brulee. Great song. Which I just think is amazing. Uh, there, there's, uh, and, 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 I, and I'm, a, I'm a big fan. And I, and I guess this goes to, like, I love Drunken Butterfly. And uh, the, one of the, I think that, you know, since we're having this conversation as it relates to, like, let's say, Supercell, some of the stuff that I picked, obviously, is stuff that's influenced us in certain ways. And with Drunken Butterfly, I think it's, uh, I think it, it, at least for my writing as a, as a writer, uh, some of the things that I write about sometimes, it's a lot of non sequitur stuff. It's all just images and things, but it's images that represent my time in New York City and starting in Boston, as we're talking about, we've been talking, and New York City. Uh, and so a song like Social, like The Drunken Butterfly, where the, the main refrain is, I love you, I love you, what's your name? Represents so much of like what New York City can be about how people can encounter each other as ships passing in the night or have these crazy you know situations with one another scenarios sometimes crazy and 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 uh and it's and and there's this extreme like this moment of energy kind of connecting yeah, with one another absolutely. but then she's like and she's like she's a drunken butterfly she's like a social butterfly it's like that's the way i've interpreted it yeah. and she's there i love you i love you what's your name like she doesn't even matter what his name is just like i love you i love you and i feel like i've heard that refrain probably in a thousand after hours i've ever been in and things like that and uh and so i think that like even songs that like uh on the supercell record like chain reaction stuff really reflect um some of that some, some of that crazy stuff that i've managed to encounter either whether being living in new york city and that influencing the music or being on tour and the things that uh oftentimes i think i allude to a lot of that stuff that imagery comes from a lot of that being in new york very cool yeah. great picks can't wait to hear them we're about to listen to mc5 10cc prince and sonic youth and we'll be back to wrap things up you're listening to look at my records Yeah. 
just a silly phase I'm going through And just because
We heard MC510CC, Prince and Sonic Youth, Paul's picks, Paul of the band, please, and Supercell, who just put out their debut self-titled record. Paul, thanks so much for coming by. When are you guys playing again? When can people go see Supercell? Uh, the next show, I mean, the next sort of like official, I guess, New York City show is going to be the, it's the Mondo Festival. Um, I believe we're playing at Arlene's Grocery, uh, and we're, we're going to do a, a, I guess a, a post a post convention day mixer party show kind of thing. So it's, it's a perfect opportunity to, to come and, and check it out if you're going to the if you're going to the convention. If you're going to go check out the panels and stuff, and Arlene's Grocery is obviously in the heart of like the Lower East Side. Yeah, so right there, um, it'll be listed on our website and all that, like where we're playing. But it's I, I guess it's uh, whatever the that that. Week in October. It's Thursday, October. Cool. I'll include the information with the post, everyone. Supercell's debut available on all streaming services. They're on Facebook, Supercell Official, Instagram, Supercell Official, Twitter, anywhere else. Uh, okay. Go 
Well, Facebook, you said Facebook, right? Yeah. yeah and the website, Supercell? Oh, Cool. And I'd say let's end the show with the Please song to tie it all together. Well, thank you so much for being here. It was a pleasure talking with you, hearing about Supercell, your new project, and your extensive background in music, wearing a lot of different hats, doing a lot of different things. Come back anytime, Paul. Thanks. Also, check out our school, rockundergroundmusic.com, the Rock Underground in Belmore, New York. Yeah, that's great. I, You know, it's so funny. I wish things like that existed when I was a kid because I think maybe, I don't know if I would have been playing music more, but I think it's helpful for people that want to be focused and learn hey, I want to learn this as in music, you know? Yeah, and it's given us a great environment so for it to be creative and, and so on and so forth. And so we have an ex- we have something that no other band has, which is like this this crazy space to just keep on doing stuff. And that's in, in the tradition of so many of the great bands. All the great bands hung together and played together and, uh, and, and had that kind of environment to just keep on playing, 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 playing. And so I think that's what's... That's what's gotten kind of gotten us uh, motivated and, and keeping the momentum of what we're doing. So we think the record's going to do pretty well. It's a it's a good record, and I've got some. Gr- I've, we've got a great, really, really uh, vibrant, vibrant group of wonderfully talented individuals in the band. So people should come check us out if they can. You know, love it comes highly recommended from me, your host Tom Gallo, and we're going to wrap up the show with "Here it Comes Again" by Please to put a nice little bow on everything tie it all together. Thanks, Paul. Thanks very much. Here comes again what's flying in the sky. Here comes again. With a passing grin, I'd love to have a try. Here comes again. I know why it had to be this way. If I had to choose a way to go, it might not have worked out fine. If I Thank you.